You know, I love Advent, and I love the way our church looks during Advent. And at the risk of bringing undue um, uh, compliments to those who work behind the scenes, I want to ask those of you, if you had anything to do with decorating this space for Advent, would you stand today so that we could express appreciation to you? You may be so worn out you're not even here, but thank you. Bless you. And it's my understanding that intentionally they're not done. You will continue to see the space becoming more beautifully adorned uh, as we continue through this Advent season. But we are truly grateful uh, for all the hours that went into decorating the space. I hope it makes preaching sound better. Um, I really do love Advent. And one of the reasons why I love Advent is because I didn't grow up celebrating Advent. Truth of the matter is, I was probably 15 or 16 years of age before I experienced my first season of Advent. And I remember just being so awestruck by the symbolism that was uh, pointed out in the Advent wreath, in the Christmon or Christ ornaments, and through all of the hanging of the greens and things that uh, we experienced back then. I, I've always loved this season of Advent. And I was talking with an Anglican friend a few months ago, and we were describing what we were looking forward to about the season of Advent. And I said, you know, one of the things I love the most about Advent is the Advent candles uh, that symbolize the hope and the peace, the joy and the love that Christ brings into the world, that Christ is always bringing into the world. I, I love the symbolism of how into a dark world a light comes, and that as we get closer and closer to the birth of Jesus, that light grows. And so by the time we get to Christmas Eve, we've lit the four candles of Advent, and the Christ candle, and the light has finally come. My Anglican friend shared with me that in her tradition, they don't light Advent candles of hope, peace, joy, and love. Instead, their four candles represent something completely different. They represent, one, the patriarchs, two, the prophets, three, John the Baptist, and for Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I got to thinking about that. You know, I think Advent sermons are some of the hardest sermons to preach because you only have so many verses about the birth of Jesus. And that's typically what people want to hear during the season of Advent, even though Advent is every bit as much about all of the ways that Christ comes and continues to come, not just Christ's birth, but it's hard to preach those birth narratives over and over again to people that have heard them for their entire lives. It's hard to give them any kind of fresh new meaning. And so I had this idea, what if I hijacked our Methodist Advent candles and named, renamed them for patriarchs, prophets, John the Baptist, and Mary the mother of Jesus? And then I thought better of it. I remember how people aren't always 
appreciative of change in the church. And I also understand that I need to be reminded very often, but especially during this season of the year, that there is hope that is available to us in Christ. That there is peace that is available to us in Christ. That there is joy and love that is available to us in Christ. So I didn't do anything to change the Advent wreath. But I decided, well, why not preach some of those things, even though we're going to keep hope, joy, peace, and love as a part of our Advent candle lighting. Why not preach on the patriarchs and the matriarchs? Why not preach on the prophets? Why not preach on John the Baptist and Mary, the mother of Jesus? Maybe, just maybe, by focusing on some different scriptures during this season, we can hear the story of Advent and Christmas in a new way, in a different way. And so that's what I've decided to do instead. Today, I want to focus on a matriarch and patriarch in the scriptures, uh, Abraham and Sarah. And as I read through all of the passages of Scripture that we'll encounter during this Advent, there was one common theme that seemed to keep coming up, and that was the theme of waiting. And so the title of the entire sermon series is Wait for It. Wait for the many ways that Christ comes. Today we're talking about Abraham and Sarah. We're looking at two particular passages of Scripture, Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. Now, I'm going to guess that if you're like me and you've been in uh, our tradition, our denomination for most of your life, then you've never heard the story of Abraham and Sarah preached during the season of Advent. But I'm going to guess that you've heard this story preached at other times of the year, so much so that you are quite familiar with it. And one of the difficulties for all of us when we read a scripture and we know it so well is that we lose some of the impact of what's happening because we already know the story. It doesn't shock us. It doesn't get our attention the way that it used to. I don't want you to miss the impact of what's happening in our scripture today. God has come to Abraham and Sarah, and God has said, I want you to leave everything. Everything you know, everything you love, everything that is comfortable, everything that is familiar. I want you to leave everything, and I want you to go somewhere. God doesn't tell Abraham where he's going. God just says, I want you to go, and when you get there, I'll let you know that you've gotten there. That is absolutely amazing to me that they wouldn't that God wouldn't tell Abraham and Sarah where they exactly they're going, and yet they immediately get up and go. Apparently, going is not very difficult for Abraham and Sarah. But it appears as if waiting is quite difficult for Abraham and Sarah. Why, the next time that we see God communicating with Abraham and Sarah, uh, we are hearing God say, do not be afraid. Now, 
I don't know why they would have been afraid. I'm guessing there were lots of reasons why Abraham and Sarah might have been afraid. But perhaps one of the reasons why Abraham and Sarah were so afraid is because they had gone so quickly and so willingly and had not yet seen a return on their investment. They, they were given a promise but the promise had not come to fruition yet. And they were beginning to worry. They were beginning to wonder, if the, because the promise hadn't come, that the promise might not come at all. And so God comes to them and God says to them, do not be afraid. And that's where we get a glimpse, I think, of why Abraham is so afraid. He's afraid because they picked up everything and they left to go uh, follow wherever God was going to send them, but they still had not seen that promised land. They still had not had that son through whom their lineage would be preserved, and they are absolutely concerned. Waiting on the promise is difficult. It is so difficult for Abraham and Sarah that they decide that since God's not acting as quickly as they think God should, that they'll just take matters into their own hands. Sarah suggests to Abraham, since we've been unable to have a son through whom the, our lineage will be preserved, why don't you try to have a son through my servant Hagar? And that way we can ensure that we will have a son through whom our generations will come. The only problem with being impatient and taking matters into their own hands is that it creates a lot of animosity. When Hagar ends up having a child with Abraham, naming him Ishmael, Sarah and Hagar end up having animosity towards one another. It, it damages their relationship. You could even speculate or argue that it damages the relationship between Ishmael, the son of the servant woman and Abraham, and Isaac, the son that Abraham and Sarah eventually have. What we do know from the scripture is that had God not intervened, the servant girl Hagar and her son Ishmael would have been completely destroyed. And they would have been destroyed because Abraham and Sarah had a hard time with waiting. It makes you wonder if the promise is not the only important thing about this story of Abraham and Sarah. God did promise a promised land to them. God did promise that they would have a son through whom their lineage would be preserved. But maybe something equally important, maybe something even more important than the promise was the waiting. Because it's oftentimes in the waiting that we begin to discover the real meaning of what we're waiting for, of the promise that has been made to us. Maybe the waiting is every bit as important as the promise itself. 
So how will you wait this Advent? I'm not off to a great start. Uh, I told you a few weeks ago, I, every morning I go down to Circle K and I buy my wife a Diet Coke, Fountain Diet Coke, because allegedly it tastes better than the canned Diet Coke or the bottled Diet Coke. Now, Circle K has this neat little feature. It's called a self-checkout line, and it's not one of those where you actually scan the item. You just take the item, and you sit it on this little pad, and it magically figures out what the item is when you sit it on the pad. Well, I'm standing in line waiting to get my wife's Diet Coke, and nobody's using the self-checkout line. Everybody's waiting to go through the checkout uh, that is, has a person checking people out. This typically means they're buying cigarettes or lottery tickets. So I'm sitting here waiting rather impatiently, knowing that all you're doing is buying cigarettes and lottery tickets. I am expressing great love to my wife by buying her a Diet Coke. So I kind of ask, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and I make my way to the self-checkout line, which I do quite regularly, and I put her Coke down on the pad, and it says Clorox. So I take the Coke off of the pad, I wait for it to reset, and I put the Coke back down, and it says Clorox. Three different times I tried to put the Coke on the pad, and it said Clorox. I'm not paying $7.99 for a Diet Coke, even though I love my wife. So what that meant was is that I had to go all the way back and stand in that line again and wait until somebody could actually check me out. Now, was the most important thing in that story paying for my Coke so I could leave? Or could it have been that in the waiting, that might have been equally important to God? Maybe, just maybe, instead of being frustrated and angry, might I have thought about praying for the people in front of me? Might I thought about uh, calling to mind um, what that they are children of God, instead of focusing on what I thought they might be buying, I could have said, here is a person that God loves. It was a perfect reminder for me as we start this sermon series that sometimes it's in that waiting, and we're all going to wait at some point during this season. It may be in a line. It may be for your relatives to show up to eat. It may be for the preacher to stop preaching. We're all going to find ourselves waiting. What if it's in the waiting that we discover the meaning for what's about to happen, for the promise that is to come? May God give us the grace to wait with hope. Amen.